Hello and welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian. This is Dean Jones, the Well-Seasoned Librarian, and we are in Season 4, Episode 2. Really happy to have you here with me to talk to my guest, Cal Peternell, who is the long-term head chef for Chez Panis. He's a book. He's an um, author of multiple books, uh, not the least of which is his newest book, Burnt Toast and Other Disasters. I had a great time talking to Cal, and I can't wait to share this interview with you. Um, it's so good to be into season four. We've had so many wonderful guests, and Cal is not the least of them. I really love getting a chance to talk to him. He's so friendly and genial and such a wealth of knowledge on cooking. So here we go to the interview. Onward to talk to our guest, Cal Peternell, author of Burnt Toast and Other Disasters. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Cal Peternell on our podcast, who is the author of the recent Burnt Toast and Other Disasters, and also the host of the wonderful podcast, Cooking by Ear. Cal, thank you for being on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Dean. Now, for our audience members who are not familiar with you, can you just discuss your background and um, the books you've written? Sure. Um, so I grew up in, I live in Berkeley now, but I grew up in New Jersey and um, went to art school in Boston and New York and uh, where I met my wife, my now wife. And um, we, you know, I cooked, I, I cooked at home during when I was in school and I worked in restaurants, but I was always as a waiter um, or uh, like a bartender. And um, then my wife and I got the opportunity to move to Italy um in the in the late 80s and uh we lived there for about two years and that's when i sort of really started to like pay attention to food and become um you know just more enchanted with the idea of food and the way it fits into culture um and so when we moved back i started looking around for restaurant jobs and uh, got hired by a place in san francisco that's actually still there it's called bix Oh, yeah. You know that place? Yeah, I walked by a lot. Yeah, it's a cool like supper club down a little alley. And um, I cooked there. I cooked at a couple of restaurants in Boston. I came back and worked at Loretta Keller's restaurant, Bizou, um, that's now gone, but that was south of market. And then uh, I got a job at Chez Panisse in Berkeley, um, Alice Waters' legendary restaurant. And I was there for you know, I worked my way up and I was the chef in the cafe and then I was the chef in the downstairs restaurant. Um, and I was there for a total of, you know, almost 22 years. Um, so I really kind of, I grew up in a way and I, my family, we, my wife and I have three kids and they were all part of like going to the um, restaurant a lot and uh, some of them cooked there, other ones of them did their homework in the dining room before the customers came in. So we were really uh, a part of that place in an amazing way, in a beautiful way. Um, and then during near the end of my time there, I, uh, our oldest kid, um, Hop, uh, was leaving home to go to college and, and uh, Hop said, you know, like, can we cook this summer before I go so that I can learn some of the our basic, um, you know, family, not restaurant stuff, but like family stuff. Right. And, um, and that, and that was the beginning of my first book, 12 recipes, uh, which I could 
tell you more about that story if you want. And then I wrote, um, the second book was a recipe for cooking. Um, the, and then um, almonds, anchovies and pancetta. And now my new book is uh, burnt toast and other disasters. I do want to talk to you about your books. In fact, all your books, because I've been um, reading them this week and I really have gotten very attached to them. Um, one thing I want to ask you about is if you want to talk a little bit about your time at Chez Panisse, what that was like, that must have been amazing for you. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's it's everything that I, you know, I, I was um, very uh, impressed and um, just when I read Alice's first cookbook, I felt this was before I worked there. Um, I felt like uh, she was, you know, I, I really subscribed to her way of thinking about, you know, the cooking starts at the market or the farm and the seasonal and all that. I just was suddenly like, yes, this is what I, this is the way I think about food too. And, um, and you know, then working there, I was not disappointed. I, it's full of of the best ingredients, um, so many amazing connections to local farmers that I still, you know, I still have friendships and relationships with farmers that um, I was just up at Full Belly Farm uh, oh, yeah. last weekend cooking with them and so wonderful to see all those farmers and um, I've known them for, you know, decades. Uh, and then the staffing there is just full, it's a, it's a restaurant full of people who are really passionate about food and um, that's not always true in restaurant kitchens. Um, you know, there's people that are there for different kinds of reasons, but at Chez Panisse, it seems like Alice is able to gather together the, these, these passionate individuals and, uh, and it's a good environment, you know, it's a sort of non-toxic cooking environment, um, due no doubt in, in no small part to the fact that it's led by a woman and, and there's a lot of, um, women in leadership roles there. And uh, I think that that is a good thing for workplaces in general. Yeah, I agree. So you mentioned your kids asking you to do more family type uh, meals. Um, are you teaching your kids to cook? How old are your kids? Yeah, so um, the oldest hop is will be 30 in a couple of months. And then uh, Milo is 26. And Liam is 17. And um, yeah, so that first book, 12 Recipes, I started writing, um, like I said, when, when Hop was getting ready to leave home and I kind of wanted to, to give them like a little primer of some recipes that, and I thought, well, 12 recipes of things that you can kind of mix and match to make meals. And uh, that turned into a book that I figured everybody would want that kind of a little primer. Um, and so, yeah, I've taught them through that. Hop and I cook together a lot. Uh, we, we've cooked at Chez Panisse together at many events over the years together. And uh, oh, during some of the pandemic time, they were staying here with us and, and we had like a little pop-up that we, that we did at first to make a little money. And then we sort of converted it into a, a fundraising thing that we would do for causes that we believed in. Um, Milo is uh, also a really good cook and sort of self-taught. Tends towards the um, how to make a hot dog like the most fabulous thing it can be, and um, and Liam is uh, beginning to find his way in the kitchen as well. Liam, by the way, 
did is the photographer for this latest book. So he took all those photos last summer when he couldn't get the usual kind of summer jobs that he would get because, you know, it was a pandemic. So right. I said, well, I have a job for you because he was, I already knew he was a good photographer. Um, so yeah, he did a great job on this book. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the food photography is really great and it's not something that everybody can do. So this mm -hmm. is like, you know, it's a great gift because it's something that's very needed right now and did a fantastic job. Yeah. Thanks. Now, your books, um, A Recipe for Cooking and 12 Recipes, the one thing that really struck me about them was the informal style. And your, your writing voice is wonderful in them. It's, it really puts the reader at ease. I know myself, I have a lot of trepidation about tackling some recipes that might be what I could, would consider out, outside of my reach. But you kind of really put the reader at ease and you make it feel like it's something we can do. Is that your intent in the writing of them? Yeah, you know, for the first book that it was, it because of the concept of the book, it kind of had this built-in voice, or at least I tried to stick to this voice, which was um, a father telling his kid how to cook for themselves um, with what they've got, you know? So whether, you know, the, the, at the time, uh, Hop was living in a, um, a place in Brooklyn that had a like little galley kitchen and I knew that they, they there weren't really like great um, like produce markets and great stores around him it was basically like corner shops and um, and so I just wanted the tone to be like no matter what you can make something great and like yeah maybe you need to try and find some better ingredients going forward but tonight you've got what you've got and you can make it great and here's how you can do it. And so I just kind of tried to always remind myself that that's who I was writing to is that that person who wants to cook for themselves doesn't have, you know, the most perfect produce, maybe from the direct from the farm, doesn't have like the finest cookware. Um, but, and, and also I, I want I left, I really left Chez Panisse out of that first book because I didn't want people to think, oh yeah, well, this guy's a chef at Chez Panisse and he's living in this, you know, amazing Bay Area food bubble. Sure, he can do it. Um, so I, 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 I tried to leave that out um, and to lower the intimidation factor because I think a lot of people do feel some intimidation um, when they go into the kitchen. Uh, and then in the second book, I kind of brought Chez Panisse more into it because it's a it, it's a book, you know, the first book is not how to make a dinner party. It's how to like make dinner for yourself or your family or your, or your friends. Uh, the second book was more, you know, if you are having a dinner party or if you, or if you like me and probably like you like the idea of like uh, spending the entire Saturday afternoon in the kitchen because you want to have like a multi-course kind of fancy dinner that night. And um, that equals like a pleasure world day for you. Well, this is the book for you to, to do that with. Having said that, you can also leave, you know, there's like lots of little grace notes in there, which you can leave out. And there's some basic recipes that you can, that'll be good for your weeknight meal as well. Now, one of the things I loved about, and I, I apologize if I'm gushing too much, but I'm really enjoying your work. So please forgive me for that. But like anchovies and pancetta, one of the really cool things about it that I loved was it wasn't just this cookbook. There's a lot of you in there and a lot of your narrative in there. 
Mm-hmm. And I loved all the bits about you and your, you know, your, your stories and you're talking about, you know, meeting people and, and just cooking for people in there. And I just really loved that. And I, I really enjoyed your narrative voice in that. So um, did you, did you aim for that or did it just kind of fall together when you started writing it? Yeah, I did aim for that. And I, I, you know, I think that especially that book, by the time I got to that third book, I was feeling, I was just looking at like, what did I love about, about restaurant? I mean, about cookbook writing. And, um, you know, I love all the things I just talked about, like imparting kitchen wisdom on people and encouraging them to cook and convincing them that they can cook and that what they make is going to be delicious and, and probably cheaper and better than what they could get um, out. But I also love um, writing the little narrative pieces and the introductions to the chapters and to the recipes. And I kind of thought like, you know, for this book, I'm gonna let myself go a little on that. And, um, and food, is, food for me is a real, um, you know, mnemonic device that helps me to just bring up all kinds of memories, sometimes that I didn't even really know I had or that they're just kind of buried there at the back of the shelf, so to speak. And um, so, you know, I, I let myself go a little bit with that. And um, I love that kind of uh, storytelling and whether it's kind of like funny or maybe a little um, sad or, or just sort of honesty. And I, I feel like it's a way that is, uh, I've found food and cooking uh, to be a common language, you know, for a lot of people. And it sets people um, sort of at ease and allows for that um, because it's also sensual. It can sort of bring up memories of like, you know, that chocolate cake that my auntie used to make for us. And I remember that time we went and had it or, um, and so I kind of felt like I'm gonna chase down all of those little memories and uh, tell those stories. Because, I mean, if you looked at, like, if you took out all the narrative of the cook, the recipes, I mean, they're wonderful recipes, but the narrative that you put in there really made the idea of what you were cooking come alive. And it just, I really urge anybody who's listening to this to get, I mean, all your books, of course, but Almonds, Anchovies, and Benchetta is such a fun, enjoyable read for people that like cookbooks. They're going to really love this one. I really recommend that. I also felt like... um... You know, one more thing about that is that I, you know, I read a lot of cookbooks, and after a while, I get kind of tired of reading. Or I guess I should more to the point is I was tired of writing introductions that say, you know, a squeeze of lemon really brings zing to this little thing or what I, you know, yeah. That I, I just felt like, well, if there's going to be an introduction, maybe it should be something better, like something more interesting or like a personal story. And uh, that's what I want to read. And so that's what I started to write. Yeah. I mean, I, I got the feeling that you're a lover of cookbooks and, and I, I really think that comes through now with um, burnt toast and other disasters, a book of heroic hacks, fabulous fixes and secret sauces. Um, how did this book come about for you? It seems to be a little bit of a different departure. So it seems to be directly kind of an instructional for people that are kind of new to cooking or beginning cooks. Yeah, this book is a departure for me. And, uh, and in that way, it was, it was had an extra little fun challenge of writing it because some of the stuff, you know, the other books, I kind of wrote down 
what I do. Like I just basically was writing down what I already just do all the time, which is cook that way with good ingredients and, and, and good olive oil and, um, and bringing my like skills and sensibility to it. And this one, I thought, what if I brought my skills and sensibility to other kinds of ingredients or other kinds of dishes? Um, and it really came about when during travel, like when I was traveling on vacation or more specifically when I went to visit my parents and, you know, I love to cook for them while I'm there. And they would say, you know, what, what are you gonna make for us tonight? And I would say, well, you know, the way I like to, cook in, in my possibly somewhat snotty way of, you know, go to the market and see what's looking great. And, you know, honestly, there wasn't that, you know, stuff that looked that great at the markets there. And, um, and or at least I wasn't finding the right markets. And um, so I started to think like, well, what do you do when you don't have those things? And when maybe you don't have that delicious olive oil, which I rely so heavily on, like what can you do with butter or just neutral oils? Um, what can you do when, when you've made a mistake and maybe the mistake is you burnt the toast or you overcooked the meat or you boiled the rice until it's kind of mushy. Or maybe the mistake was like, you got broccoli again, even though you know you've had broccoli every night and you're kind of tired of broccoli. Or maybe you bought really beautiful vegetables, but that was like last week and now they're not so beautiful. Um, or maybe you're just in a big hurry and you know the only thing that you can make is, you know, instant mac and cheese, but it just has to be better than the last few times you've had. Like, what can you do to make it better? And so that's how I set about, um, set about this book. And some of it was kind of an interesting discovery for me. There's one dish that was really a revelation, which is... Um, uh, a, a dish where you cook rice and with a can of beans and a bunch of cilantro and, and scallions, but the rice, you, you know, the rice goes into the pan raw, the can of beans, you just dump it in there, you add some water, you add the scallions, and uh, it is amazingly good considering that it takes 15 minutes and it's beans out of a can. So I recommend that one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, you have a wonderful sense of humor, a very dry sense of humor in your books, and I really enjoy it. Did you develop that as your, as your kind of writing voice as you went along? Because it seemed, I, I, I find like I'm a kind of identifying your style of writing a little bit as I read your books. Was that something you developed? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always sort of had that, um, that dry sense of humor, I'm told. Um, but I, you know, when I started to write, I was thinking about the writers that I love and, um, and why. And, uh, and, you know, when you get to a certain point in your ability to cook, uh, I think if you ask most chefs, they're, 
not necessarily following recipes. So they're not always looking for a recipe, at least for, you know, I think we follow recipes for things that we're baking for desserts and things like that, that are a little more formulaic, but, um, but so what I would look for is the voice of the writer and like inspiration, like, oh, this looks like a great dish. I need to make it. And I just like the kind of voices that are a little more uh, funny or entertaining in some way. So like people like, I love Fergus Henderson's book. I don't know if you, his oh, books are a big fan. Really funny. You know, I laugh out loud sometimes in those books. Um, Richard Olney, um, American who, wrote a lot about the food in, in southern France um also funny pretty snarky sometimes um I also love Elizabeth David and maybe they share uh, a dryness of their sense of humor but um her books are kind of not necessarily funny but sometimes a little um snarky and and funny in that way um so you know I tried to like follow their amazing examples standing on the shoulders of giants to come up with uh, a style that that was my own you must have an amazing cookbook collection am i wrong about that guess i do have uh, <laughs> i do i do indeed nice i've overrun the shelves and now they're just starting to stack up yeah i'm, I'm the same way although I, i'm imagining yours is way better than mine um I want to talk to you a little bit about cooking by ear it's an amazing yeah. podcast that i love very much um, so I've been listening to all of them. How did you come up with the idea? How did this develop for you? You know, uh, it started when I was with a friend who, um, used to run the center for investigative reporting right over here in Emeryville and is a, you know, guy who's deep into media. Um, and we were at a wedding together and the wedding ran out of booze before the like reception was even over. And so we, said, do you want us to go do a, um, you know, a beer run? And they said, oh yes, please. So we went out and while we were out, we were talking about um, cooking and, and my friend said, you know, I can't even cook like lentil soup. I just don't. And I, and I said, you know, I can totally help you with that. And he said, what is, is there like a way we could put an audio piece together that would help people, they could listen and somehow it would teach them to cook. And we started talking about it and we started bringing more people in and we luckily found this amazing um, producer and audio, um, you know, expert um, whose name is Christina Loring. And she ended up being the co-creator of the, of the podcast. And um, we came up with this idea that we needed a, we needed a surrogate for the, we needed someone to stand in for the listening audience who wasn't a chef um, so that, they could keep me in line if I got too chefy and, and, and we thought, let's do it where you're cooking along in real time and we have a guest. And so that guest is asking, you know, real life questions of me. And if I simplify things too much, they can say, wait, wait, go back and tell me how to do that. Um, and that guest can also provide interest because, you know, there's moments when the onions are cooking away or you're waiting for the water to boil where cooking is, you're not actually doing anything. It's passive cooking time. And we thought, you know, we can make that like really interesting if we get the right guests. And back to that thing about, you know, the way food allows people to tell their stories um, that maybe they'll open up a little in, in the kitchen. And if we can go to their kitchen, even better because then there's more stuff to talk about. 
By and, which you uh, did with uh, Francis McDormand. We were very lucky to get Francis. Francis was already a fan, and um, <sighs> so and wonderful. He would go to Chez Panisse, and we kind of became friends. And you know, I was like, "Do you want?" You know, I don't know if you're into this, but I could come and teach you to cook something, and you could pick what it is. And she said, "Sure." She's very private, so she didn't want us to talk about where she was. But we went out there, and um, and you know, getting into her kitchen and um, and just like there's something that ha when you're standing around, I feel like she, if I had just called her and said, "Hey, can I come interview you?" She would have just said no because you know she's had enough interviews and she doesn't need to do that. But can I could teach you to cook something? I'll bring all the groceries. I'll do the cleanup. We'll eat it. The whole thing takes like two to three hours. You don't even have to change out of your sweat uh, sweat clothes because it's audio. Um, and she said yes, and that was that was actually our first episode that we recorded and was so much fun, uh, as you might imagine. She's just like fun as could be. Um, and then, you know, um, yeah, we took it from there. Uh, and we were lucky to have a whole line of like amazing other guests. You know, it's so groundbreaking because there's a lot of podcasts like mine that are basically interviews, usually fairly scripted where you're just talking and having a question and answer session. But this was very improvisational. So it's so much better than an interview in many ways because you're just kind of like talking like humans do. There's one other podcast that I'm reminded of, Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner. It's a British podcast where he just sits and has lunch with people and it's not scripted. He just kind of just talks and they have a conversation. So it's so wonderful. It's better because like, you were getting all these fun quirky bits from your guests that you wouldn't have gotten with an interview that were just delicious. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, a big Frida taught me how to um, twerk or she tried to teach me how to twerk. Uh, apparently I'm not nearly flexible or able to get enough or able to get low enough. Um, you know, I was teaching um, Mira Nair how to, um, how to make fatouche, this sort of Middle Eastern bread salad. Uh, but she also, well, she showed up with a broken leg um, because she had literally broken a leg in the theater. She fell off the stage when they were doing um, monsoon wedding at the Berkeley Rep, it was wet and she fell. And so, you know, we had that. She taught me how to make the um, chai that, um, that she drinks all the time. Um, things like you know this amazing poet tommy pico revealed that he had never broken an egg cracked an egg before so i literally got to show him how to like crack his first egg i remember that i was a little nervous when we went to uh francis mcdormand's house but as soon as she pulled out this plate that said motherfucker on it uh, <laughs> everyone sort of relaxed after that <laughs> that's uh, wonderful bob the drag queen was amazing and challenged me to eat whole cloves of garlic with him while we were shooting almonds out of their skins across the <laughs> apartment um you know it, i got sort of drunk with alexander payne because we were he busted out this bottle of wine that was from um sideways and then we had a couple of other bottles of wine so yeah it, it, like i would love to keep doing it um it, as you probably know it's a little hard to figure out how to monetize um a podcast Right. And we did have some uh, some some costs. It was, you know, it was tricky to produce because we would 
we would go to someone's house or they would come to my house in their kitchen and you know we'd have like three hours of raw footage and then Christina was a genius at putting together uh, uh, editing it so that it was still interesting we got all the golden moments but it was actually timed right so that you could cook along with us in real time and have you know of course you could push pause if you needed to but um so that took some doing and ended up um uh, you know we 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 were able to find one wonderful angel sponsor but um we eventually kind of ran out of money but i have a dream that we can somehow bring it back someday oh i mean i just you it was such an amazing, I always recommend it to people because it's just, I think one of the best podcasts available. It's just, if you get to do more, I, I would love to see it, but I, I can appreciate how hard it is to do. It's way more difficult to do something like this live than people realize, I think. Yeah. And, you know, we would have to go recook everything later just to get the timing right. And to get some other, like maybe if we didn't get some certain sounds, um, but like I said, again, Christina Loring was, uh, indispensable and an amazing, uh, part of that project. So I want to ask you, um, I'm going to circle back to the cookbook authors we were talking about are, who are some of the cookbook authors or food writers you like to read right now that you're enjoying? Yeah. I mean, there's so many and there's lots of books coming out right now, but, um, I was just looking at my shelf this morning because, um, I was looking for another book and I, you know, I was just thinking about the books that I need to pull back out again and sort of dip back into. But um, I don't know if you know, Anissa Halu has an oh. amazing book called Feast um, that's uh, all um, Middle Eastern amazing uh, stuff that's, you know, I kind of try to go outside my um, my Euro bubble when I go into cookbooks. Um, so Anissa Halu's book Feast is amazing. Um, my a good friend Tamar Adler, who wrote for the Times for a while and um, and is working on a new book, but I love her book um, that's somewhat overlooked, something old, something new, where she she took all these old um, recipes, uh, mostly old American recipes, uh, and kind of either tested them and said they're good as they are or updated them things like oysters rockefeller and aspic and you know those kind of like old celery consommes and yeah just kind of like these sort of dishes that have gone out of favor but that you know still are good um so tomorrow's book is is great um i love this local book by um anya ku and elazar sontag uh, called Flavors of Oakland. Um, Elazar now writes for um, Eater. And uh, I'm not sure what Anya's doing, but they put this beautiful book together where they go into the homes of um, families in Oakland and uh, learn a recipe from them and kind of profile uh, the family and their culture. And they're mostly like, um, you know, uh, immigrants, families from all over the world. And um, that one's great. It has great pictures. Um, I don't know if you know the local uh, kitchen incubator, La Cocina. Yes, uh, yeah. But their book, We Are La Cocina, is a wonderful book that's that was put together by uh, multiple authors. Um, I'm sure you know uh, the amazing, legendary, inimitable Paula Wolfert. Um, oh, yeah. Local 
uh, author. I think she lives up in Sonoma and Paula suffers with um, Alzheimer's um, disease and um, partway through her uh, that illness coming on and her sort of loss of memory, um, she wrote with a, a co-author a book called Unforgettable, which um, is a beautiful book telling that story and has lots of great recipes in it. Um, Paul Wolford, you know, I think uh, foodies and like chefs know her, but a lot of people in the general public have somehow overlooked Paula, so I would recommend her. Um, I love Edna Lewis uh, and Scott Peacock's book, this, The Gift of Southern Cooking. You know, Edna Lewis is uh, a legendary um, Southern American um, cook and, writer and in this book she teamed up teamed up with Scott Peacock who was her uh longtime companion and um their book is amazing and then I'll just tell you one more um a friend um Lebanese cook Barbara Abdini Massad um so Barbara Massad's books they all start with M uh, Mune Metze and Manaushe it's all Lebanese um, cooking. Manaushe are those um, flatbreads that you can get locally at Reams. I don't know if you know Reams, California, but oh yeah, yeah, he makes those um, with all kinds of toppings. And metze, of course, you know. And then uh, mune is like a book of um, of preserving uh, Lebanese style preserve preserving of everything, vegetables, fruits. Ah, uh, that sounds amazing. Amazing book, really deep kind of reminds me of Paula Wolfert's books because it goes deep and and is well researched and um so yeah those are the ones that I'm kind of dipping into these days now that it's getting to be fall here although you know California we have our own ambiguous seasons yeah. um yeah. what are you looking to cook uh this fall anything well, specific you know we can all still like uh, even though it's mid October in the bay area we can still take pleasure in eating some of the end of the seasons of like tomatoes and peppers and uh there's still eggplant and uh those kinds of things and then we're transitioning now into like some of my favorite things uh the sort of all the bitter uh, vegetables that come in the summer in the winter especially bitter greens like um all the chicories you know uh the various types of radicchio castelfranco and chioggia radicchio um I love delicata squash and all the all the uh, you know sweet like roasting squashes, the winter squashes. But delicata is is a real uh, is a real treat. That one that has like a you you can kind of just roughly peel the skin. Um, I usually just leave some of the skin on there because for one thing it's kind of impossible to peel because of the way it's shaped. But um, and then I love to fry those, like slice them into you know, scoop out the seeds, slice them and dip them into a batter and deep fry them. They're really good, like a tempura batter. Or, mm. uh, and then, you know, all the, all the different, well, I love Brussels sprouts like everybody does. So Brussels sprouts with uh, ginger or a little bit of bacon or pancettas, uh, something I love in the winter. Um, and then the beautiful and sort of psychedelic, um, cauliflower romanesco that has those little fractal uh, peaks yeah uh, that are always fun and then later in the winter there'll be things like you know uh, artichokes and cardoons that i always look forward to anything that can go with anchovies is a favorite of mine 
Oh yeah. Anchovies are wonderful and so underrated in America. I think mm -hmm. hopefully I think your uh, cookbook is uh, going to help promote them more because they really are wonderful. Yeah. And a sustainable catch. And, and also, you know, you don't, you don't need like a whole pie, you know, a whole steak of it's yeah. like, it's not like, you know, like a tuna steak or a swordfish steak or something. It's just like a little bit of fish that goes a long way flavor wise and works really well with, with all kinds of vegetables, especially in the winter. Oh, and this such a beautiful, I, I just love them and everything. They're just so good. Um, one last question. I hope this is a fun one. Um, what kind of uh, music do you listen to when you're cooking? Um, yeah, lately I've been listening to uh, a lot of like 80s new wave um, nice. bands like um, like uh, the um, the um, like Susie and the Banshees and nice. uh, and the Cocteau Twins. Uh, nice. You know, just kind of putting those on, uh, letting that spin out on um, various websites. Um, I love, um, I've been listening also lately to uh, covers of, um, I just got into this covers thing, like where I'm listening to covers, like covers of um, Paul Simon songs um, and uh, covers of like, uh, or Tom Waits covering the Ramones and <laughs> like getting into, there's a great um, Jeff Buckley cover of a Led Zeppelin song, Night Flight, that I can't get out of my head lately. I love that. No, I like covers too. Yeah. Cal, thank you for being on the podcast and answering my questions. I really appreciate you being here with me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Good to talk to you, Dean. That was my talk with New York Times bestselling author, Cal Peternell. He's the author of 12 Recipes, A Recipe for Cooking, and Almonds, Anchovies, and Pancetta. We spoke about it his newest book, Burnt Toast and Other Disasters, A Guide for Making Things Better. On Monday, I'll be having chef, restaurateur, and television host, Joanne Ware. You've seen her on Joanne Ware's Cooking Confidence, Ware Cooking in the City, Joanne Ware's Cooking Class, Seasons 1 and 2, and Ware Cooking in Wine Country. She is also the authoress of many numerous cookbooks. We're going to be having her on the show on Monday. I had a lovely interview with Joanne, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Until then, happy cooking.